Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. Again here with Pastor Merritt. And today we will be finishing up the Doctrine of Heaven. But before we begin, as is our custom, let us remember 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. In Jesus' name we pray. So much for our use of 1 John 1, 9 and the exercising of that wonderful grace gift of teaching by God the Holy Spirit when we are confessed up. We are in the doctrine of heaven, as David has told you, and I'm going to do a very brief review from our page one so that uh, we can transition over to page seven. All right, the, the Greek noun uranos is the most often used New Testament words that translated heaven or heavens. It appears more than 300 times in the New Testament. Uranus is very often used to describe three different heavens. The aerial would cover up to approximately 25,000 feet, usually, usually referred to as that space occupied with air. The area above the aerial, where the constellations pervade, is referred to as the sidereal. And then there is the third heaven, which is the abode of God. The sidereal heaven is where the space station and multiple satellites circle planet Earth. It is also from where a Russian astronaut said, I am in heaven, but I don't see God. In his ascension, Christ passed through the aerial and sidereal heavens on his way to the third heaven. This is mentioned in Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. The third heaven is often called the abode of God. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Now we are ready to pick up where we left off last week uh, on our page 7 in our, our lesson plan. All right, we're going to begin uh, by reading Genesis 1. 16, 17, and 18. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to provide and divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Genesis one nineteen. 
and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. From the theological standpoint, unquestionably, the most important use of the term heaven is with reference to the invisible realm of which the visible may be simply the fringe nearest to man. This is the heaven which is best described as God's dwelling place. Before the Christian era, the Jews divided the heaven into seven different strata, a notion which has no basis in the scripture. Unquestionably, the apostles often spoke of heaven as the abiding place of God and the and blessed the dead. The fact that they use the expression the third heaven means they were referring either to heaven in its most exalted character or to the heaven which is reached by the souls of the blessed when they have passed through the two lower regions of the atmosphere. The term heaven of heavens in Deuteronomy 10.14, 1 Kings 8.27, Psalm 68.33, and 148.4 literally render the Hebrew idiom by the superlative the highest heaven. It would seem to express our concept of the uttermost reaches beyond the universe. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. 1 Kings eight twenty-seven. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee how much less this house that I have builded, referring to the temple. All right, Psalm 68, 33, To him that rideth upon the heaven of heavens, which were of old, lo, he doth send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. All right, David, take over. Psalms 148, 4 and 5. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. When we speak of heaven as God's dwelling place, or the place where his presence is made manifest, we do not transgress the doctrine of his divine omnipresence. Though the Lord speaks of coming from heaven and going to heaven, he is infinite transcendent, and therefore manifests himself where he already was. John, chapter 1, verse 18, implies that when the Lord was on earth, he was also in the bosom of the Father, not inexplicably given the omniscience and omnipresence of the Trinity. And the verse reads, No no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared him. 
We must simply recognize that the essence of an infinite and co-infinite, co-equal and co-eternal deity demands such a conclusion. This concept is conveyed in the word of God to finite human minds, hopefully in terms we can understand. Much of the description of heaven in its strictest sense is given in figurative terms because it is impossible to express heavenly things except in language which is often symbolic. This language does not all mean that there is nothing literal about heaven. Jesus in John 14.2 said, I go to prepare a place for you. Christ lives forever in his glorified resurrection body. There must also be a place where he dwells with his saints. Certain things are clearly revealed in the scriptures concerning heaven. Considerable attention is given to the things which are not to be found there. For example, there will be no marrying or giving in marriage. That's from Luke 20, verses 34 to 36, and they read, And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. There will be no tears, death, sorrow, crying or pain, nothing that defiles and no more curse. There will be neither sin nor human good there. Revelation 21.4 And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. God is present in heaven in a special sense, dispensing, dispensing judgment, grace, and glory. Isaiah 33.5 The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Jesus Christ descended from heaven. John 3.13 and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Christ was taken up into heaven, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. David, I think that was angels. Looking sharp. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner 
as ye have seen him go into heaven. Wow. He is presently at the right hand of God, making intercession for his saints. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Excuse me. From heaven Christ will come again to judge Israel, the nation, and all the unbelievers. Psalm 96.13 The heavens will rejoice in song before the Lord when he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and peoples in his truth. Redeemed souls are presently with Christ in heaven in a soul format. At least two Old Testament saints, Enoch and Elijah, were translated into heaven without death. 2 Kings 2, 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then in verse 11 of 2 Kings, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The redeemed of the church age shall receive resurrection bodies at the rapture. And behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, It is written in Daniel, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Philippians 3.21 We shall... Excuse me, who shall change our mortal bodies that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto, that is unto himself. Furthermore, their treasures and rewards await the saints in heaven.
1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to the abundant mercy, his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That concludes the doctrine of heaven. Uh, we have a short doctrine, the doctrine of airship, that is not uh, on the website, uh, but it's a, I don't know, seven, eight minute uh, that ties in with the doctrine of heaven that Pastor Merritt's going to share with us now. The doctrine of airship. Christ is the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Heirship is based on sonship. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Romans 1, 16. I'm sorry, Romans 18, verses 16 and 17, and John 1, 12 as an introduction. But as many as received him, again, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. All right. Romans eight sixteen says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Spirit also beareth witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also together be glorified. Galatians 3.26 You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Heirship is based upon the death of another. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, again according to the scriptures. Heirship demands possessing the eternal life of God. Titus 3.7 So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
All right, David, let's see what we have in 1 John 5.12. 1 John 5.12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Heirship implies sharing the destiny of Christ. Ephesians 1.11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will. The concept of heirship is based on the doctrine of election, and an election is based on omniscience. Hebrews 9:15 through 17. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone or somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who has made it is still living. Acts 2.23 Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge, prognosis, of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Romans eight twenty eight and 29. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he died, for no, he also did predestinate, meaning to limit in advance, i.e. to predetermine, pro means before, and horizon, horizo means to mark out or bind by boundaries, like a horizon, i.e. to a point decree specified to be conformed to the image of the Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, now let's see what Romans 11 verse 2 has to say about this subject. God hath not, notice, not cast away his people and hath by not Casting away his people, which he foreknew. By the way, the word foreknew there is prognosco. Pro before and gnosco meaning to know. Do you not know what the scripture saith of Elijah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. A bit of arrogance, David, on the part of Elijah. Now let's see what 1 Peter one twenty says. Who verily foreordained, again prognosco, meaning to know beforehand, to foresee, uh, before the foundation of the world, but were manifest in these last times for you, translating prognosco 
as foreordained is a terrible translation. Far be it for me to criticize the, the scripture, but nonetheless it is a terrible translation. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the down payment on the believer's inheritance. Ephesians 1.14 Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those things who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The principle of airship emphasizes the doctrine of eternal security. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. And we have covered that doctrine before on our podcast early on. Knowing beforehand. So the principle of airship emphasizes that wonderful doctrine of eternal security. Once saved, you are saved because of the work of Christ. All right, let's take a look at 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. He has given us new birth unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So our salvation is sealed. We are joint heirs with Christ. And there's not any, well, there's not much else we can ask than that. That's a wonderful gift of God. So, so much for our lesson. And uh, I want to recommend something to you. I want to recommend that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Right where you sit, stand or lay. Uh... It is eternally secure because of the wonderful work which Christ did. All right, David, I'm going to turn her back to you. Well, Pastor Merritt did well giving you something that we don't have out there. We currently don't have a means to get it there, but we're glad we're able to present it to you. Look forward to you seeing you next week. Until next time, so long.